I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. We finally reached the offseason. This was going to be the start of the offseason regardless. Fortunately, UConn season doesn't end with a national championship. UConn knocked out by Arizona in the Final Four. Pretty convincing loss. Not like some of the past three Final Four defeats. Before we get into that, just a couple quick housekeeping notes. So, If you're new to Chasing Perfection from the start of the season, welcome. Glad to have you here. But if you've been here from the start, you know that when we launched over the summer last year, we were going one episode every two weeks. Currently, our plan is we're going to have an episode this week. We're going to focus this on the Arizona loss, Avina Westbrook coming back, Anna Makarot leaving, Paige Beckers winning basically every award on the planet. Next week, we're going to look at... At, back at the season as a whole, look ahead to next year. And then the week after that, we'd like to do a Q&A episode. So we're going to be still go once a week for the next few weeks, and then we'll kind of reevaluate there, but probably switch into once every two weeks. So just so you have a heads up, but first, just to start with the Arizona game, I know going into it, we were pretty confident about it. I think personally for me, I hadn't really seen Arizona play a whole lot. And also just when you see the team with the three next to them on the seed line, you kind of feel like UConn's going to be in good shape, especially how well UConn had played. And then you come out to the game. Well, actually to start, we weren't the only ones that thought that apparently Kristen Williams said over the, after the game that she thought that they didn't think Arizona was give them a very tough matchup. They thought it was going to be easy and, they got flustered to use her words. I think that was pretty evident. It was never really a close game. I think the closest UConn got after Arizona went up early was five points a few times, never got within single digits or a single possession over the final 31 minutes. UConn kind of made some comeback attempts, but they just couldn't get the stops on the other end of the floor or get the baskets when they needed to on the offensive end. So a convincing defeat, and a tough way, I guess, just for the season to go out. Yeah, I thought they came out looking kind of flat. Like, they didn't have that energy that they had when they came out against Iowa or Baylor, which, I mean, those games were so hyped up, and there wasn't really a lot of hype going into this Arizona game because I think everyone, like kind of Williams said, expected it to be a, an easier win for UConn. And it came out looking kind of flat and never really turned that around. And it just... Arizona went up big at the beginning. UConn could never get their offense going and just, you know, all the way through kind of felt like this, this, the starting quarter that was rough. It was just the tone for the whole game. 
Right. And I know we talked about on the pregame show that the letdown potential for this game was strong. And that really is what it came down to. Well, not all that it came down to, obviously, but that definitely played a big factor. It was such an intense and emotional win, a big win for UConn against Baylor. So much went into that. It's so hard to come off that, especially when you have a long buildup. I feel like if it was the type of situation where UConn beats Baylor on, let's say a Friday night and then UConn's playing Arizona on Sunday. I feel like you have a lot less time to think about it, to break down the matchup, to convince yourself that you're going to just blow past Arizona. Whereas they had the whole week to kind of look at it, to think about it. And I think that probably did them in Arizona clearly came out with no fear. I think Ari McDonald was unbelievable. Adia Barnes just did an absolutely fantastic job coaching. Honestly, I wasn't all that surprised that the game went like that. I know I predicted that UConn was probably going to win, although I would like to say that I did have a bad feeling about that as the week went on. But I still felt like UConn was going to win. At the same time, I feel like we always talked about the other shoe could maybe drop with this team, and it felt a lot like that immediate year after Brianna Stewart, the 2017 year, where they were undefeated the entire season, only had one close call against Tulane. It still felt like that entire season, there is the potential that they were just going to struggle a ton because they were so young and so inexperienced. And it obviously happened against Mississippi State. I still kind of felt like it that with this team, even after the Arkansas loss, how well they had playing, beating South Carolina, cruising through the Big East. It always felt like maybe that inexperience catches up to them. Maybe all this youth, they can't overcome it. Maybe Paige Beckers has a bad night and they can't score enough from everyone else. It just felt like there was this type of game coming. I I think what I'm trying to say is I wouldn't have been surprised if they went on to win the national championship and just continue the strong play that they had, but having five days now to kind of digest it and think about it and go over it. I'm also not really that surprised that this happened either. Yeah. When you're looking at the roster, it's just such a young team. You look at, you know, players that have played in a, NCAA tournament or a final four and Westbrook played with Tennessee, but it, only Kristen Williams and Olivia Nelson Adota had been to a final four, which was two years ago when they were freshmen. So they had a totally different role and yeah, they both played big roles on that team, but they weren't expected to be leaders. And then a lot of just underclassmen, a lot of freshmen in the lineup, there's definitely an opportunity for, you know, things, the other shoot to drop and it, it definitely did in that Arizona game. I think another thing, too, is we never really saw this freshman class hit much of a wall during the season, right? Like I think most freshman classes, they, you know, they might start out well. Even if you look at, like, Brianna Start, she started out well, but then had kind of this lull in the middle of the season and then came out to, like, really just, you know, dominate in the NCAA tournament. And we never saw that with Paige Beckers or, or with this freshman class, but it felt like maybe they hit a little bit of that wall in that, in that Arizona game. Right. And I think it was also just kind of a factor of Arizona's defense. It feel, felt like in the at, right after the game ended, it's like, wow, they really struggled without Paige playing well. And Paige still finished with 18 points, which I think just first off goes to show you how great Paige is. But it also goes back to something Gino said earlier in the year where you can't rely on Paige Beckers to score 30 points every single night and expect to win. Yeah, it would be great if she could have gone off for 30. But she still had 18 points. Kristen Williams still had 20 points. They basically did all of UConn scoring. UConn didn't have a third option. I know Avina had 10 points, but you just need a tertiary scoring option. You can't have two players trying to score half your points. You're just not going to win national championships like that. 
And I don't think there's a single player that you could blame because I don't really necessarily know that anyone besides Kristen Page played that well. But Olivia Nelson Adota did have a very rough night. And it was very reminiscent of that Arkansas game where in the second half, Gino just decided it was better not to have her on the floor. And that's just not something you want out of a junior, especially a junior at the end of her junior season. For so much of the season, so many different times, it looks like she's finally made a breakthrough. But then with that game, it almost feels like she's right back to step one where she started this year. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you can't really blame any one player because I felt like no one really had a great game. But when you come into this game and you look at the matchup that she had in the post and that she had the clear size advantage, you kind of expected that, you know, especially as a junior and supposedly one of the leaders of this team, that she's going to come out there and be able to get knocked down some easy looks at the rim and help you kind of offensively. And she really couldn't do that. I think she ended up 0 for 7 for the floor. I forget the exact numbers, but... Or, yeah, over seven from the floor. She just missed a lot of pretty clean looks at layups inside, which is frustrating. I mean, the team as a whole missed a lot of layups, but just kind of UConn needed another option there, and she seemed like the obvious choice that should have been that, but she wasn't able to deliver. I have – I don't know why it's a singular play burned into my memory, but like you said, it was easy layups that she was missing, and there was one that where she just completely overshot the basket. I think she tried to go off the backboard, and she got it on the backboard, and it went completely to the other side of the rim. It wasn't even close. Didn't make a single basket on the night. Finished with one point on a late on a free throw. She missed three free throws total. Not that that was the difference. Arizona did have the advantage in free throws, but I feel like that was just the nature of how. Arizona was playing I the officiating wasn't great by any means but I didn't think it was particularly bad in one direction or the other I think it was just Arizona was forcing them to call more fouls on UConn the one biggest complaint I think UConn would have would be Kristen Williams fouling out because she doesn't come anywhere close to fouling the player I think it was McDonald that's her fifth foul they went to review it. I don't really know how much they could have actually overturned because I don't think you can overturn a foul call. You can only change who the foul call is on. I don't really know who another obvious choice would have been to give the foul to. Also, depending on what the ref saw, but that was really, I thought, the most egregious thing. But it just wasn't a great officiated game all around. But yeah, you, you mentioned it. The biggest thing was the layups. They missed so many layups, 7 of 22 on layups. Their season average was 75%. So if they made that many layups, if they made as many layups as to their season average, they would have had 16, nine more layups, which would have resulted in 18 more points. I assume that doesn't even count the layups on which they didn't make, but were fouled. So even if they didn't make their season average, which I don't really expect them to make a season average in a final four game, but all you needed to do was make five more layups and it's a tie game. It's a completely different game. It was just such a weird game in that sense. And I know it wasn't the majority opinion, but the people after the game who were somehow calling that a failure by Gino, that the team played like that. Like, I think maybe we obviously don't know the full story, but you could maybe fault them for the preparation or maybe not having the team ready to go. But once you get out into the game, how much can you really do when your team is missing that many free throws or not free throws layups? And obviously it comes down to a lot more than missed layups, but at the same time, 
it really doesn't. UConn could have played as bad as they did and still won that game if they just made more layups. So it's it's complicated and deeper than that, but at the same time, it just isn't. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, it could, it's a lot of things that amounted to them losing this game, but had they just finished their layups, they, as bad as everything else was, they still would have won. Um, so I feel like that's the easy thing to point to, because especially because it felt like the missed layups, it wasn't something that Arizona necessarily did, right? Like a lot of UConn's offensive struggle goals came back to the fact that Arizona played really solid defense and they couldn't really figure out a way to to get their offense going against their defense. But the the layups, especially from Olivia and from Olivia, like we just had, UConn just had the clear size advantage inside and it wasn't really anything that Arizona was doing in terms of guarding them at the rim that was forcing them to miss those layups and even from anyone else it was just more they just didn't couldn't get them to fall UConn just played poorly and I think it's tough for people who follow UConn UConn fans people like me who have watched the team for a long time getting to the final four is such a basic expectation at this point now that they've been to 13 straight winning a national championship or bust because that's just the expectation that UConn set for itself. But really UConn probably overachieved in my mind in getting to the final four. How many teams have six freshmen? Their rotation when you break it down is three juniors, one sophomore and three freshmen. How many of those type of teams get to the national, get to the final four beat teams like Baylor to get there. It wasn't that, this team got lucky and got an easy draw all the way there. They played phenomenal against Baylor just one game before. And it's just that youth, that inexperience, that inconsistency. They play poorly the next game and it ends their season. I feel, I don't feel like you can really draw any big conclusions off that game. Not like you look at the final fours past. They should have beaten Mississippi state, but okay. Mississippi state catches lightning in a bottle. That's fine. You lose that game. The 2018 team, the fact that they didn't win a national championship, you should lay out all the heavy criticism you want. You can criticize Gino for not playing Azure Stevens as much as he should have in that second half when she was the one that kept them in the game in that first half. You can criticize, I think it was both Katie Lou Samuelson and Gabby Williams for missing shots at the buzzer at both the end of regulation and the end of overtime. There are a million things you can criticize that team about because that team was a juggernaut and the fact that they didn't win the national championship still just absolutely blows my mind. The year after, they had a big lead in the fourth quarter and they just couldn't make a basket. I don't really know that you can draw any big conclusions off this team. It was They're bringing back everybody right now but Anna Makarot. They are only going to be better next year with the freshman class coming in with everyone getting an extra year of development. They still got to the final four. That's still a very big accomplishment and they beat a very tough team to get there. So I don't feel like it's any sort of matter of the team wasn't prepared or Gino doesn't have it in the final four somehow, which is an absolutely bizarre take in and of itself. They also ran into a team that was hot. Arizona almost upset Stanford in the national championship game. So it's not like Mississippi State, where Mississippi State went on and just got absolutely blown out by South Carolina. Arizona almost won that game. So they were a legit team, even though they're three seed, maybe you take out that three seed, put a one next to Arizona's name, and the 10-point deficit isn't really that different. So I think just overall... It, it was a loss and it was a bad loss, but 
UConn, as Chino said, is going to be back there next year. They're going to be back there the year after that. They're going to be heavy favorites to win the national championship next year. UConn can't win every single national championship. They're going to have off nights, and especially this year's team. I think the fact that they only had two off nights is pretty incredible, and one of them just happened to be in the Final Four. Yeah, exactly. I think that's important. I think people since Brianna Stewart and winning four and you know, four championships in four years, like that's not supposed to happen. And I think people feel like that's the expectation. And I feel like with Paige Beckers having so much hype, that was the expectation that she's going to come in and win four and four years. And that's just a completely unrealistic expectation. And like you said, this is a really young team. Honestly, the fact that Paige Beckers and these freshmen carried them to a final four is, is really impressive at the end of the season. So they're not going to go out and win a national championship every single year. That's just, not realistic I think I mean the final four streak in itself is impressive if they had lost that Baylor game I mean like it's still a successful season in my book right like they would have lost to a really good team and missed the final four um so I I think it's important to to keep that perspective that this team is only going to get better and they're going to be right back where they were next year and probably the favorite to win it all next year but the expectation that they're going to win, you know, every single year, especially with this much youth is, is I think unrealistic. You look at the Stanford team that won it all and they, they have senior guards and experience on that team that's leading them there. And you look at Arizona and they have a lot of seniors and juniors on that in their starting lineup. It's, at some point that experience kind of wins out. Also, I wonder how differently this season is viewed if last season doesn't get cut short, barring, divine intervention UConn was not making the final four last season that final four streak would have ended this year would have been their first time back in the final four last season probably it wouldn't have totally reset expectations but yeah Brianna Stewart just completely blew them out of the water because they were high before that but it it was at that point it was get to the final four and see what happens whereas now it's almost like you have to get to the final four. And if you somehow don't come away with a national championship, it's a total and utter failure, which shouldn't be the way that it is. Also, I think just further solidifies Brianna Stewart's status in my mind as the greatest player in program history, because when you look at what she did her freshman year, that wasn't a great team. It had a lot of really good pieces. It deserved to win the national championship and they all came together in March, but that was all orchestrated by Brianna Stewart. If she doesn't turn into the player that she did in March, they don't win it. And Paige Beckers was really good in the NCAA tournament. She was probably UConn's best player throughout. She obviously could have been better against Arizona, but again, she had 18 points. She did a lot in that game. She had a very tough defensive guard. And it was also at a point where Arizona was able to just throw bodies at her because they knew everyone else wasn't going to do anything. And just to finish up this point, you go back to Brian or you go back to Diana Taurasi's freshman year, her awful shooting night against Notre Dame for them to lose on a way more talented team than this current UConn squad. Brianna Stewart is the greatest of all time in my book. And also just to reference that Taurasi game again, it, it goes to show you that you can have bad nights as a freshman and still go on to do incredible things. Paige Beckers really didn't have one of those bad nights. And if you're calling a game in which she still scored 18 points, a bad night, that really just goes to show how good she is. So yeah, this, this loss again, I wouldn't have been surprised if they went on and beat Stanford and won the national championship, but I still am just not really that surprised with this loss having 
thought about it for the last few days. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think in the moment it was a bit shocking, right? The way they just they came out and you came back at the halftime, never really turned it around. I, I think it was surprising in the moment and during the game, but now with a few days to reflect on it, just the amount of youth on this team, it, it's really not that surprising that you know they, they didn't make it all the way through. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So we move to the offseason. Hopefully a less chaotic strange offseason than last year was the biggest question mark was Avina Westbrook was she going to declare for the WNBA draft which we have advocated for her to do on this podcast frequently or was she going to return for her redshirt senior season she basically took this one down to the wire to decide she had 48 hours after UConn's game ended so roughly around 11 30 to midnight I don't exactly remember when the game ended but she waits until after the national championship game to make a decision, posts on Instagram, unfinished business, signals that she's coming back. What were your initial thoughts when you saw that? I think I was initially surprised because I do think, like we've talked about, the, there's a really solid case for why she should leave for the draft and, you know, take that step this year. But I do think in terms of what it means for this team, it's probably the biggest offseason move they could have because what she clearly means and from a leadership perspective, not just on the court, but off the court in the way that, you know, they all refer to her as their mom. And she's just been such a big part, I think, of keeping this team going all season long, especially in the kind of crazy environment that this whole year has been. It is when you're looking at a team that's still going to be young next year with all these freshmen becoming sophomores, they're still a young team and then bringing in a lot more freshmen again having her back is just is huge from a leadership perspective for UConn and, you know, having someone that's going to help lead them all and get to try to get back to where they were this year, next year and win that national championship. Right. I think the first, the longer it went on without the news coming through that she was declaring, the more I felt like she was probably going to come back just because if you've already decided going into the final four that you're leaving after, that press release is going to come through the next day or very close. It, it's not going to drag into the last final few hours. That doesn't mean she still couldn't have gone, but she also seemed to tip her hand in the post-game press conference against Arizona, where someone did directly ask her if she had thought about it and she declined to answer the question. But in a different answer, she made a comment along the lines of, yeah, we have a lot of work to do for next year. We have a lot to prepare for which made it sound like she was thinking like she was going to be a part of this team next year. That ultimately is what ended up happening. I'm not that surprised. You just think of all that she went through at Tennessee, all that she went through last season, the waiver getting denied knee surgery, being on campus with just her and a cook, a cook for months on end as they were rehabbing. She finally ended up in such a great situation this year, had a team that clearly adored her, as you mentioned, the WNBA is always going to be there. It isn't always about money. She wants to be a broadcaster, so it's not all about playing basketball for her. 
it does make sense. This is just me speculating why she's returning. We don't actually know for sure, but I just, it, it makes a lot of sense why she's coming back. She knows exactly what she has in Yukon. And like you said, I think it's really important from a leadership perspective, because I think if she leaves, I had this small worry in my head that this year's team is so close knit and everything that they went together through together with not really being able to go anywhere, only being able to hang out with each other in their apartments, the freshman class being so tight. I was a little worried about the freshman next year come in sailor Poffenbarger to a degree. I feel like it was probably a tough transition for her into the team. I was just a little worried that maybe that freshman class wouldn't integrate super well into the team just because of how tight this year's squad already is and that there would be almost no turnover. But I really don't have that worry at all with Avina Westbrook still on the team because clearly she is just held in such high regard by every single person in the program, all of her teammates. She just loves doing these different activities for her team, whether it was what she did on Valentine's Day or dressing up as an, as Santa with an elf in Olivia Nelson, a Dota and bringing everyone presents on Christmas. She's going to continue doing those things next year. I am not worried at all at this point that the freshmen are going to get integrated well. And also just, I feel like her biggest contributions aren't necessarily stats wise, even on the court, putting aside her leadership, her numbers aren't what's important with her. You could put her in the lineup and She's basically just going to fill whatever hole that needs to be filled out there, whether that's scoring one game, rebounding one game, assisting. Her numbers could be lower than this year, next year, and she could still have a larger impact on next season's team, just if they have more weapons, more shooters, all of those sorts of things. So I think it just solves a pretty big question mark in terms of the lineup where you know what you're going to get out of her. I think as much as any other player on the team. And even if it doesn't necessarily come through in production each game, she's still going to be out there giving you good minutes. And that's really, really valuable on a team that still next year is going to be really young. I think Gino said it's going to be 10 freshmen and sophomores. It's not a very experienced squad in general. Now you lose one of your more experienced players in Makarot too. So yeah, I, I think it's a huge plus for this team that she's coming back, arguably one of their biggest returners. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, outside of maybe a page backers, Kristen Williams, she probably is their biggest returner to come back right. for all those things we just talked about, what she means off the court, but also on the court, just how she really does do a little bit of everything for this team and, you know, steps up where they need her to pretty much every game. So I'm excited to see what she does next season. Right. I think it's also a factor of not only was this season so bizarre, and I think the further we get away from this year, I mean, it's still immediately in the past. We're still in the pandemic that's caused it to be so weird, but two, three, four years down the road, I think we're going to look back and just realize how bizarre this year was. Something I noticed today going through some older articles for a story, December felt like it was years long in terms of the season. That was the first first month of the season they played one month in 2020 normally it's obviously november and december and it feels like it's longer but it was just such a weird year so not only do you have that but she's also coming off not playing for 18 months even though she wasn't that bad earlier in the year i still feel like it probably took her a little bit of time to get going so next year she's gonna or she's gonna have this full off season to get better she's gonna have next season going in ready to play 
in shape, not rusty. I think she could have a very, very good year and she's probably not going to be one of those players that'll ever get all American consideration. But I feel like if you're ever going to throw someone up on the Huskies of honor, that doesn't become a WBCA all American, which is the requirement along with graduating Avina Westbrook has a pretty good case. Yeah, honestly, I hope they find a way to put her up there because I think when you, like you said, when you look at this season and how weird it was and, and maybe it's not really going to set in like how weird this whole year has been until it, we're, we're a few years away from it. But I think the contributions that she has made off the court to this team are just like, it's probably really hard to overstate how important that has been this season for this team to even get to where they were. Because if they aren't that tighten it off the court and they don't have her doing all these things off the court to, you know, make the freshman feel at home and help everyone get through, which is obviously I'm sure been a difficult year. Uh, they probably don't make it to a final four. I would love in the next, in the future to talk to one of these players candidly about what it was like to try and get through this year, because when you're basically locked in your apartment all day for, they got on campus in late July. So that's, August, September, October, November, December, January, February, and March. Eight months where you almost can only go in your apartment or in the gym, aside from maybe taking a drive around or going for a walk somewhere or going to the grocery store. The month of January, there was snow on the ground the entire month, so I didn't get out for a walk every day like I normally do. And I felt like I was going insane just for that. So I can't imagine the mental toll that the season took, how difficult it was for them to push through, still stay sharp every single game and get as far as they did. I feel like Avina Westbrook deserves an, a ton of credit for that. And like you said, they probably don't get this far without that. They probably don't become as close without her. I feel like, again, you can't overstate the contributions that she had to the team and you can't overstate how important it's going to be for them to have her for one more year going forward. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, as much as she has contributed this year, it's going to be just as important next year. And I mean, hopefully things are going to be approximating normal by the time we're talking about the start of next season. But <laughs> I think we're still a few months away from that. So in the off season, it's going to be so critical to have her. And then just, you know, with still such a young team, it, it, it's going to be really critical for her to be back for this team. I honestly personally for her hope that she can win the national championship next year because I know it's not the number one thing on her mind and I know it probably isn't even going to make the top 10 in there but you could tell when they went down to play Tennessee this year that there are still bad feelings there how much of just a giant middle finger a giant fu would it be to Tennessee to have them not support her waiver force her to sit out a year and then she goes to UConn and wins a national championship in the year that she got because Tennessee forced her to sit out the year before, because if she played the 2019 season, I think there's a pretty good chance that she doesn't use her extra extra year and come back next year. Maybe she does, but I feel like it's a lot less likely. That would just be such a great way for Avina Westbrook to get back at Tennessee once and for all. I mean, helping your art, the arch rival program with the year that you got because you were forced to sit. Uh, it's just, it would be the ultimate poetic justice. Yeah, for sure. I really hope she gets that too, because like you said, would this be perfect? <laughs> She's too good to do this, but it would just be incredible when they're standing on that stage, the confetti falling, 
if she pulls a Shabazz Napier and gets asked about something and just starts going off on some sort of, this is what happens when you ban us rant, except more <laughs> tailored toward, this is what happens when you make me sit out an extra year. It would, it won't happen, but you can dream. They would just be incredible. So continuing to look ahead to next year, we, Avina Westbrook was the first big decision that came through with the roster. Second one take came on Tuesday morning, Ada Makarat, the Polish guard, just finished up her sophomore season, will transfer. This is obviously a very pro Ada Makarat podcast, so it's disappointing. Always someone really fun to talk to. Everything I've heard about her was she was a great person, really funny behind the scenes. Everyone really liked her. It's disappointing in that regard, but at the same time, you can kind of understand what her reasoning probably is. UConn's backcourt is going to be absolutely packed next year with a lot of really good players you've got everyone returning Avina Westbrook Kristen Williams Paige Beckers Nika Mule then you also have AZ Fudd and Caroline Ducharm coming in that's six players that are all probably going to get some substantial minutes I don't know how it's all going to get divided up because that's a lot after the season that she had it seems like she probably would have been on the outside looking in and really would have had to earn her spot in the rotation. So I can understand her deciding to go into the transfer portal and find a place where she's going to have more of an opportunity because there just wasn't going to be a ton this year. And I think even if she played really well and looked more like that freshman player that we saw, that still might've bumped her pretty far down on the depth chart, just considering the talent that UConn has. So Makarat's sister Ola is also in the transfer portal. It'll be interesting to see where she ends up if they go together. But I think Anna can play for a pretty good team, a top 25 team. Even I think she could be a good player on a top 10 team. I think she's that good. She has that much talent. And I think this year was probably more of an aberration than anything, but disappointing, but you understand. And hopefully wherever she goes, she could find that success that she had her freshman year and build on it too. Yeah, exactly. I think she's going to be a really big pickup wherever she ends up probably another top tier program. I would, be surprised to see her not land on something that's going to be a, you know, a top 25 type team. So I think we'll be hearing her name as far as a contributor somewhere else next year. But um, I think from a UConn perspective, it, it, it does make sense, right? There's just so much depth in that backcourt already. And then coming in next year as well, that it was probably going to be difficult for her to work her way into significant minutes. So it, it makes sense that she'd want to go someplace where she can have a bigger role. Right. And I think, when I was thinking about it throughout the day, a lot of times when you see transfers, it's just because something didn't go right on the recruiting trail. And <laughs> you could point to the entire class that all of you know who I'm talking about. Don't want to call anyone out specifically, but they just, certain players just aren't up to the standard to play at UConn and they go somewhere else at a, maybe not necessarily a lower level, but a team where they're going to have more of a chance to contribute And I feel like for Anna, it wasn't necessarily that she wasn't at this level because I think she proved that she was. She still could have been a really good player. It was more just UConn got a ton of really good guards. Even if Makarat had a really good season this year, she still probably could have ended up transferring out just as a numbers game. Fudd's the number one player in the class. Ducharm's the number five player in the class. Everyone coming back, obviously very good. It's just, I honestly just feel like it was a numbers thing, so... I feel like it's just nothing that Gino could have done about it or the staff, because that was a good pickup on the recruiting trail. And I think they would have taken her every single time had they gone back and done it, especially considering the lack of depth they had last year. 
And I think Anna Makarat would probably come here every single time if she still had a choice knowing how it ends. And I feel like a lot of times recruiting transfers don't end on necessarily a positive note. Like sometimes it can be amicable, but I feel like this is probably just best for both parties that UConn has a little more breathing room in that backcourt and Makarat can go play more somewhere else. Yeah, I agree. The tone of everything today felt very amicable and I think it's probably one that's going to end more amicably than some of the the other class you you mentioned did. So I think that's a positive sign to see. Right. So I'm personally just going to miss getting to talk to Anna Makarad. She always would just have a very, very dry sense of humor, but would slide things in. Like it, it wouldn't be outright funny, but she would just have these little comments here and there that would just kind of make you laugh. So just a very fun person to interview, a very fun person to talk to. So obviously that's going to be missed as well, but that's just the nature of how some things go. So I'm just really interested, interested to see where she ends up to see what type of interest she gets, because yeah, like you said, some team's going to get a really good player. And I feel like this year was so bizarre. Her shooting doesn't start great, but we also don't know when she picked up that stress fracture. Maybe that was a thing that was bothering her all season. And it just threw her out of a groove and she never got back on the right track. So if she wants, she can still go somewhere else and have three years of eligibility left. I also wouldn't be that surprised if she went back to Poland, but it did sound like she was planning on staying in college in the U S. So I'm excited to see what's next for her and how she ends up doing. So since this is final four week, a lot of organizations announced their yearly awards Paige Beckers has won pretty much everything under the sun that at least she's eligible to win. So let's just list it all off. She has won four National Player of the Year awards, all the major ones that she was eligible to win. AP, the Naismith Trophy, the USBWA, Ann Myers Drysdale Award. That's not a mouthful. The Wooden Award, she wasn't eligible to win the Wade Trophy, which is the WBCAs. That's only sophomores, juniors, and seniors, because that makes sense. There's a couple more less prestigious awards, but I feel like those five are probably the big ones. So she got all four that she was eligible for. She got four first team All-American honors, the AP, Wooden, USBWA, WPCA. That last one is the program standard to make the Huskies of honor. So as long as she graduates, which is also a requirement for it, that's why Megan Walker's not currently up on the wall. She's going to be in the Huskies of honor, which I think we all could have seen that one coming. She's been named co-freshman of the year twice by the USBWA and WBCA. Before we move on to other ones, a lot of people were making a big deal that she was a co-freshman of the year for the USBWA, but was named national player of the year. I personally don't actually have a problem with that. Maybe I'm in the minority here and I know it is a little weird and it doesn't make a ton of sense, but I feel like Caitlin Clark deserved to win freshman of the year, but she didn't deserve to win national player of the year. If that makes sense. I feel like both those things can exist and I don't really have a good reason for why, but I'm actually fine with her only winning co-freshman of the year, but outright national player of the year for the USBWA. Yeah, I agree with that. I think in any other normal season, Caitlin Clark runs away with, you know, freshman of the year. So I I understand (laughs) wanting to give her some recognition there, even though, you know, Paige is going to go on and win national player of the year and I I don't think Clark was quite at that level but yeah I I, I agree I'm okay with that moving on with her list of accomplishments she was twice named a most outstanding player 
once at the Big East Tournament, also at the Riverwalk Regional. She also made the All-Tournament Final Four team, was the only UConn player on that list. Kind of similar to the Big East Tournament when she won Most Outstanding Player, I kind of feel like Kristen Williams should have won that award. I don't think it was as clear as the Big East Tournament. Kristen Williams absolutely should have been the Big East Tournament Most Outstanding Player. No disrespect to Paige, but... I at least understand why she made the final four team, but I still feel like that one probably should have been Kristen Williams. Yeah, I also agree with that. I, th- I thought Williams had had the better game and he stepped up some at the end there, but with I just thought Kristen Williams was really all of UConn's offense for a lot of that game. And also, as much as Aaron McDonald was able to score, did a decent job defensively on McDonald as well. So I, I also thought she deserved that award over Paige. Right, Kristen had 10 of UConn's 12 points in the second quarter. And if she doesn't do that, UConn probably gets blown out. So Paige also won the Big East player and freshman of the year. Second player ever for that to happen. Oh, I should mention minor detail that Paige is the first freshman ever to win any of those National Player of the Year awards. She was just the third freshman to be named a first-team All-American by the AP. She was the second freshman in UConn history to be named a WBCA All-American. She's the second player to win the Big East Player and Freshman of the Year. She also won a million Big East Freshman and Player of the Week awards that I didn't feel like going back and counting, but it was a lot. She also won the Nancy Lieberman Award, which goes to the best point guard in the country. Shocker, she was the first freshman to do that as well. So it felt like every single day there was just another award coming out for Paige Beckers just an unbelievable freshman season and the best freshman season in program history. I know she didn't end up with a national championship, but Brianna Stewart, if you think of those great freshmen, pretty much Stewie, Maya Moore and Diana Taurasi, Stewart was the only one that came away with the national championship. And I don't think anyone would say that she had a great freshman season by any margin. She had some great moments, but she wasn't great throughout. Paige was UConn's best player throughout similar to Maya Moore. So for my money, the best freshman season in program history. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think all these awards that she's tallied up was the first freshman ever. <laughs> Going to point to that as well, but just an incredible freshman season from her. She really leads this team to the Final Four and to, to getting that far at least and was clearly the best player on the court for this team pretty much from the opening, the opening game to to that last game month and then you know she had a little bit of a rough performance against Arizona but all season long really just stepped up for this team in in every way so I, I agree kind of unquestionably the best freshman season in UConn history which is obviously plenty of competition there so pretty impressive right and also like I said earlier when you're talking about a rough performance for a freshman scoring 18 points in the final four I think Paige Beckers is the only person on the planet that that would have been a rough performance for, at least the only UConn player in history that that would have been a rough performance for. Can you imagine like Kristen Williams scoring 18 points against Notre Dame in the final four back a few years ago, that would have been the lead story, not a tough night for her. So I think that fact shows just how good she was as a freshman and I still can't believe I didn't pick her to be in the starting lineup at the beginning (laughs) of the season. Like we just, we didn't know she was going to be this good. Although I was looking back through my old articles and I did write in our season predictions that I thought she was going to have one of the best freshman seasons in program history, just not Maya Moore level. So I was honestly not that far off with my prediction, even though I didn't get the starting lineup right. 
Yeah, and I, I feel like we've drilled this point into the ground at this point, but I mean, I just never imagined that she was going to live up to the amount of hype that was coming in, or there was around her coming into this, and I think she just somehow went on and just completely exceeded all of that hype, so this is an incredible freshman season to watch. I'm really looking forward to getting to watch her in person next year, but just an incredible <laughs> first first year from her and we definitely witnessed the start of some UConn history. I can't imagine what that first game like is going to be like when fans are back. Hopefully by then it can be a hundred percent capacity because it better be a gamble pavilion. <laughs> Literally, I feel like I just get emotional about anything that resembles <laughs> at this point. So <laughs> honestly, that game better be at Gamble because structurally, I don't think the XL Center can handle that. The roof is probably going to collapse again if that first game back is going to be at XL Center. It's just going to be insane. Especially, I feel like we haven't even really gotten that much AZ FUD hype yet. And like we have gotten a lot of AZ FUD hype, but now that the offseason beginning and she hasn't even arrived on campus yet, it's just going to grow and grow. So I don't really think that she can be better than Paige Beckers because I don't know if you can really top the season. Like, okay. You can win the national championship, but if ne- you get to next year and AZ FUD has a season like this and they win the national championship, it's still okay. Well, she had a better surrounding cast around her than Paige did as a freshman. Maybe it's possible. And I mean, you can always score more points, I guess, but I feel like, the way everything came together and the circumstances of the season and the team around her and everything, I honestly kind of feel like this is the ceiling for a freshman, which is weird to say for a freshman at UConn, I should say she was just so good this year that it, I guess my brain can't process the fact that someone could be better as a freshman. So maybe AZ FUD is and proves me wrong, but I just can't really buy that height that she's going to be better than pages. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I still can't fully process just how good Paige was. Like, it is still a little bit unbelievable. So to try to fathom someone being even better as a freshman, it's, it's just really, really difficult to wrap your head around. Um, but that being said, I'm obviously really excited to see Fun take the court. And everything that's been said has been said that she's better than Paige. So even though we can't wrap our heads around it, I guess we were wrong about Paige. So we could be wrong about this, too. So I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, definitely. For a bit of a schedule on the offseason, April 11th, UConn is kicking everyone out of their dorms because spring break's going to start, and once spring break gets here, they're going to go fully remote. So UConn, the 2020-21 iteration of this UConn team is going to be breaking up very soon. Anamakra, not going to be coming back next year. The freshman class will be coming in. Gino said June 1st as the date that summer camp summer school begins i'm not sure if he just threw that out there as a random date or if he was actually sure that that was the exact date but at least early june is when this team is going to reconvene those summer workouts that didn't happen last year are going to begin and i think those are going to be really important because i honestly felt all season long like players didn't really develop a whole lot last season last off season pretty much every returner that came back looked almost exactly like they did when they left the year before, which I think just had to do with the pandemic and the lack of the quote mini camp as Gino called it in June. So I think having a more normal off season is going to be huge and getting those individual workouts in in June. So those aren't starting in August, September and 
the preseason and the full season can be nor- more normal. Fingers crossed. Hopefully that's the way it ends up. The off season is here. Yeah. I have to agree with you that I think, you know, so much of that lack of development over the off season last year is the pandemic and just the way things were not at all what they normally are. So hopefully things are going to just over the summer resemble more of UConn's normal routine. And then, you know, come the season next year, things are going to be even closer to normal as crazy as that kind of seems but right not to we'll dive more into the next season more next week but I'm excited to see Caroline Ducharm as much as like obviously AZ Fudd too but I feel like Ducharm's kind of coming in under the radar and she's feels like she's kind of in that same category of Aaliyah Edwards where she would be getting a lot of talk and a lot of hype if she didn't have some generational talent ahead of her. So I'm excited to see what she's going to be like next year, especially as a somewhat local kid too from Milton, Mass. So next season is just going to be fun. I'm already excited for us to get to that point. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Cannot wait. Although I will say I, I would like some summer first. I, I'm not <laughs> going to rush summer at all. I'm, I'm fine with summer sticking around for a little bit. That is going to do it for the final episode of Chasing Perfection during the 2020-21 regular season. We're officially on to the offseason, looking ahead to 21-22. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Subscribe to the show. Tell your friends. Subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Read the UConn blog and Store Central for all our offseason coverage coming up. Megan, any words to officially take us into the offseason? Keep wearing your mask, get your shots, and hopefully we'll be in a sold-out camp ball for opening night of 2021-2022. That'll do it from us. Thanks for listening.